I'm Carol Speakerman, and this is Speakerman Speaks Retail, presented by MarketScale. Hi, this is Carol, and welcome to Speakerman Speaks Retail, where we navigate retail from now to next through my latest retail trajectories and through interviews with industry experts who are charting the course. So, question. Are we really ready for a great retail reopening? Well, I think it depends on who you ask, and that's why I invited today's guest to join us for a Voices of Retail Next interview. Because as retailers try to pull the trigger on reopening brick and mortar in a big way, they know they've got to get it right the first time. And my guest makes that happen across all kinds of brick and mortar businesses. Tom Bioki is the CEO of Service Channel. You can think of them as the Uber of facilities management, which is an area of retail that's quickly evolved from block and tackle to make or break during the corona crisis and beyond. Now, the Service Channel platform serves over 500 named brands across over 350,000 locations with retailers from mass to luxury and everything in between, not to mention restaurants, banks, clinics, gyms, and other high-touch businesses. And these days, I always say that high touch is high stakes. Now, Service Channel works with the biggest names in every one of these segments. I've seen their customer list, and I can tell you that it's a veritable who's who of brands. You would recognize all of them. But when you hook up that portfolio with Service Channel's mad data skills, you get a rare window into the present and near future of brick and mortar. So Tom's here to help us clear up some of this corona confusion. We're going to talk about the how, the when, and the where of the great retail reopening, how you can navigate all these variables and arrive at best practices that are going to support retail workers and restore consumer confidence in shopping and brick and mortar. Now, we're also going to explore what the data is telling us about where things might go from here. So I'd like to welcome Tom and say it's really great and I have to say timely uh, to have you here with us today. Well, thanks, Carol. Thanks for having me on today. And thank you for uh, the perfect pronunciation of my last name. You're um, one in uh, several tens of thousands who got that right the first time. And uh, <laughs> I'm really looking forward to, to, to talking about the reopening. Uh, there are some huge challenges and opportunities related to it. It's, uh, it's daunting, to say the least. But I think we're all looking to... Uh, to get back to our favorite shopping and eating locations soon. And it's going to be an interesting process for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, on the name pronunciation, uh, I don't have an easy one. That's why I had to name my podcast something that makes it easy to pronounce my name. <laughs> so I feel you on that. Well, you know, to start off, I think it makes sense to to clear one thing up, which is that you guys don't actually do the, the cleaning and the repairing and rejiggering and all those locations that's a very much a part of your business. You actually manage the selection and deployment of those who do. So if you could give us an idea, just baseline, why does that even need to happen? And why would retailers and some of these other businesses you work with outsource those jobs rather than just taking it in-house and going DIY? Sure, good question. So, so retailers and other multi-location distributed enterprises who have locations around a region or a country face a very uh, unique problem in that in the maintenance of their facilities, they need to deploy trade specialists of a wide range of trades, janitorial, disinfecting, electrical, plumbing, uh, air conditioning, roof repair, parking lot repairs, and so forth. And they typically can't afford to have a dedicated person on staff at each location to do that, It'd just be too expensive. So they rely predominantly on local or regional third-party contractors to do that work. 
And if you think about it and you're a national chain, you have to go find the right contractor for each location for each trade. It's a big matrix. It's a very difficult task. It's very difficult to find the right cost quality combination. So we use technology, software, and, and, and big data analytics to help you find the right people, manage their workflow according to your expectations, transact with them very efficiently, hold them accountable. And what most of our customers see is a great reduction in cost while simultaneously seeing great improvements in quality at their store. Oh, okay. Well, so those are, those are some pretty big incentives because I, I know you work across so many you know, different functions in facilities management. Uh, just uh, cobbling all that together could be pretty daunting. Well, one thing too that, you know, in speaking with you, I know you're a big data geek uh, and that data is a really big part of the service. I'll take that as a compliment, Carol. I'll take it as a compliment. Well, you should because, you know, these days especially, I think it's important to take the subjectivity out of all this decision-making when everything feels so out of control and when everyone feels like they're just kind of moving in so many different directions. And I know data is a big part of your platform too at Service Channel. So tell us more about the data side of the business, you know, how you collect the data, how you disseminate it, you know, to your customers and even to the industry. Sure, sure. Thanks. So we have a, a saying that it's better to know than to guess. And to know you need to have the data. And I'll use an analogy. You, you referenced uh, Uber a few minutes back. Um, and we've all taken Uber or Lyft a number of times. Um, but one thing to note is that every time you take an Uber or Lyft, they are making a digital record and a timestamp record of every transaction that occurs over that platform. They know when you issued your request for your ride. They know when the driver at the other end acknowledged it. They know how long it takes for that driver to get to see you, what route they took, when they dropped you off. Uh, they collect feedback scores. They collect pricing information. And from that, they can determine benchmarks and quality scenarios and scoring so that they can improve, the driver can improve, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Think of the exact same analogy, but not for someone who needs a ride across town, someone needs a plumber across the country. You issue a request. Someone across the country responds, I can do that job. How long did it take them to get there? How long were they on site? When did they arrive? How long did it take them to fix the problem? Did they have to come back a second time? Did they charge you the price that they quoted you or did they charge you more? What was the total actual cost? How long did it take for them to invoice you? We collect all that data and much more for every transaction that we help our, part, our partners and customers accommodate. We've done 120 million of them. And when you add that data up and slice it and dice it in certain ways, you can find benchmarks. You can find who the best plumber to replace that toilet in Toledo is. And best might be fastest. Best might be cheapest. Best might be the guy that shows up the first time and gets it right all the time. But we can spot those trends and spends and outliers and help you identify what the right choices to make are based on empirical evidence. Um, we kind of, you know, if you're, if you're a big Moneyball fan from baseball, we kind of call it Moneyball for contractors. We know the data on how it works and we have the benchmarks, and we have the price information, we can help you make better decisions on that. Um, we share it um, with our customers. Um, they obviously have their own data, and then we can aggregate it anonymously into peer groups or industry groups and show them how they stack up against their, their peers or the industry at large. Well, you know, taking that a step further, because I think, you know, there's a danger right now of everybody just sort of making it up as they go along, particularly as we move toward this idea of a great reopening in retail. And 
when we when we spoke recently, you were talking about this playbook that you guys are developing, that would seem to be a step in sort of running interference on that confusion and trying to create some best practices. And I would assume based on a lot of the data that you're collecting. So can you tell us more about the about the playbook and, you know, also even how uh, folks in the industry can can access it and benefit from it? Sure. And, and I, I guess maybe um, a playbook is a is a good name, but it, maybe it's not literal, right? It's not like there's a coach in a room drawing on a blackboard with a play to run. Bill Belichick would score a touchdown here kind of thing. Um, it's much more fluid than that and much more dynamic. And no one's ever done a reopening at this scale before. So more, it's more of a guidebook with some best practices to it. Um, we have a pretty unique perspective because we have about 500 customers of ours, retailers and others, who are all trying to do this at the same time. We've been uh, hosting kind of roundtable, virtual roundtable discussions over Zoom over the last several weeks as all of our customers contemplate this reopening about eight to 12 at a time. And we're asking them, how are you planning for this? What are the most challenging things you're going to have to go through? Um, what are your best ideas or best practices you've come up with? Can you share some of those and kind of how you're managing it? And so we've consolidated that into a playbook slash guidebook. It's not a checklist. It's not linear, but it's a, it's a list that not while not telling you exactly what to do, suggests all the things to think about and suggests some ideas that very smart people who are going, undergoing the same thing are going through as well. We've, uh, we've kind of subtitled the, the playbook, Cool Heads, Warm Hearts, and Clean Hands, because we think that uh, if you can do those three things, have a cool head, have some warm hearts and empathy, and keep your hands clean, we'll get through this together. Um, <laughs> well, and is it constantly uh, changing based on the input that you're getting? It, it is. Not only the input we're getting, but the regulations are changing. Remember, the, the target changes almost every day. Uh, with local and federal and state regulations, um, there's a different target every day for what you're solving for. And state by state, it's different. Region by region, it's different. So absolutely, it's a fluid document. Yeah, and, and that's where I wanted to go next. You sort of uh, helped me tee up that that concept is when you look at all of these, you know, you've got this world of actual regulations, and then you've got the world of recommendations, and then you've got the world of suggestions. And then you've got people who run rogue and do whatever the heck they want to do. So how do you strike a balance between reacting to all of those moving targets? And then, you know, on the other side of it, staying ahead of it and being proactive and making recommendations to your customers? That's a really good question, because it is a very fluid situation. So we've tried to break um, our recommendations or suggestions into two categories, those that are certain, certainly going to happen. And those that are still uncertain that you have to plan scenarios for. So we'll give you a couple of examples there on the, the certain parts. Uh, it used to be that cleaning was cleaning and used to clean things to make things clean. Well, it's not so easy anymore. Now you have to clean things to not only clean them, but disinfect them. So you have to go out and it's certain that you're going to need to find people who can come in and do the highly chemical, highly technical related disinfecting as long as clean, as well as cleaning. So that's a certainty you're going to have to go find out, find those people and figure out that process, right? Second thing is you're going to have unique social distancing requirements at the reopening. Uh, whether you're a gym, a grocery store, a luxury retailer, you'll have different ones, but there is a certainty that people just will not be able to walk in willy-nilly and shop at or eat at your location anymore. You're going to have to have a certain plan on that. Um, it's certain that you're going to have to eliminate high-touch surfaces uh, in the near term. The counter where you picked up your food after 100 other people picked up their food earlier at lunch hour, that's not going to be there anymore. 
the cosmetic counter where you went and and touched a lot of things that's not going to be available to you anymore um goodbye hand dryers in bathrooms too many people touch those things welcome back paper towels um Drinking fountains. I'm not sure the next time you're going to be able to uh, go to a store and want to go have a drink out of a drinking fountain. Those things are those things are gone, right? That's not going to happen. Those are all certainties. Um, and another certainty is that you not only have to do the work to make sure those things are not accessible to customers anymore, you're going to have to build confidence in them that you've done that work and show them that you've made those changes because you want to reopen, but you want customers and employees to have the confidence to come to work and come to your location. The uncertain part's yeah, a little tougher. Oh, go ahead, Carol. Sorry. I was going to say, what's funny is uh, one of the things that really jumped out in one of our previous conversations is that when you talk about that confidence, um, that some retailers even prefer that these workers not be working after hours, but be visible and sort of have the optics, if you will, of people cleaning in the store in order to, you know, sort of stoke that confidence that, hey, yeah, they're taking care of business and everything's cleaned up. Right. There, there's two very different challenges. One is doing the cleaning and doing the work. The other one is inspiring confidence in your employees and customers that you have done the work. So you're going to see a lot more visible cleaning, people with spray bottles walking around, all the way to um, we have some customers who are deploying asset tags, little RFID tags on, on their assets and equipment and surfaces and tables so that the cleaners can literally tap on those tags and confirm and validate that they've taken every step to disinfect that surface. So you'll see compliance trails and um, and and, and uh, issuances of evidence that you are actually doing the work. So the customers and employees feel safe. Wow, that's really interesting. I, I, that's, uh, you know, I, something that we have to think about is how these, it's not like you're going to have the same environments and the same processes, just cleaner. All of it's going to look really different. It's going to look very different. It's going to be, and, and and look, there's a lot of uncertainty as well uh, in all of this. So we listed several things here that are fairly certain. However, the rate um, that your location or your state or your region is going to reopen is dependent upon a lot of things. Um, will you have a second outbreak or not? Is there some other ancillary activity that happens around you? And so you have to scenario plan that and be prepared for a lot of different. Um, you know, things that might change in the future. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, one thing that is definitely uncertain, you know, when I talk to retailers and my recent conversations with them, it seems that there are two big unresolved issues that always bubble to the surface when we talk about this potential grand reopening. Um, And that's timing and accountability. And just going to timing first, everybody wants to know when, 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 you know, when are retailers and consumers going to be able to expect some kind of a return, not necessarily to normalcy, because I think we're all uh, not living in that fantasy land. But it just at least to a level of activity that's going to support business interests in retail and also consumer demand. So do you have any insights on the timing piece of it? Again, in light of the fact that yes, there are different regional regulations and things that impact that. But um, What are your thoughts on the timing piece of that and even just behavioral nuances that might need to happen in order to make things move faster? Sure, sure. Well, it's obvious things are starting, right? I think 48 states as of today, and maybe it's 50 today, I don't know, have have started some reopening process. But I think we have to be careful that, like you said, it's not a light switch. It's going to take a while. And it's probably like, um, you know, some people are calling it U-shaped or V-shaped. We kind of call it a Nike swoosh shape. It's going to take a gradual amount of time. And I, I think... Your listeners um, 
who may not be aware of the magnitude of this issue, at least in the U.S., just consider the following things. Um, a, a great retailer on a, in a good year might open 5 to 10% more locations. It might be 50, might be 100 locations, it might be 150 locations, who knows, a couple hundred. Um, that's one retailer who's having a good year and is planned for a good year. We're talking about every retailer, every restaurant chain, every gym and fitness, every, every bank and credit union in the United States, all trying to reopen all of their locations in a, let's say, four to 12 week period. We're talking about hundreds of thousands, if not low millions of locations opening up quasi simultaneously. And to make matters worse, these organizations, because of the financial considerations, have either furloughed or laid off a good portion of their staff. So there's a lot fewer hands around the table to affect these reopenings, if you will. Um, and while that's happened, um, the contractor community, who we mentioned serves these locations, has also been hit with two different things. One is they are small businesses, and they may have been financially impacted by not getting work over the last couple of months, so they might not even be around. And secondly, if they are around, how can they respond to the sudden spike in work they're going to have when hundreds of thousands of locations want to open at the same time? Some of our preferred partners on our platform are so stretched and so scheduled out with their resources that they can't even get to certain uh, locations at time. And then to kind of maybe tie it all together, you have to orchestrate this thing over Zoom. There's no room where you're going to go in and, again, draw the thing on a blackboard and the team's going to go, yeah, let's go get them. Let's go get them. This is all orchestrated with remote employees and third-party contractors nationwide. I'll give, I'll give you one data point. We, um, we, of course, like everybody else, were interested in what was happening in Georgia as they became one of the first states to open up. And um, in the first couple of weeks, we have seen a 110% increase in cleaning and disinfecting work orders. We track work orders on our platform. So they're cleaning a lot more. They're disinfecting a lot more. At the same time, we've noticed a doubling of um, declined work orders. This is a situation where the customer or the retailer asks a contractor to come do work, and the contractor says, I can't come. And the reason they can't come now is because they got other stuff going on, and they've been already scheduled. So you see this weird dichotomy of, I need to do more cleaning, but boy, the resources to do it are really being challenged right now. And so that's why I think it's going to be a long period of time. Well, is that going to impact, are you advocating uh, a more a more realistic phased approach be taken? Because if everybody just bombards you with, you know, these work orders, um, it's just not going to get done. Are you know, do you feel like you're sort of chasing cats? Or do you do you have a, a way that you can recommend a more prudent or phased approach to your customers? And just to retail as a whole in order to make it successful. Because again, you know, as I pointed out in the beginning, I don't think they're going to get a second chance at this to do it right. Right. That's a great question. We, we are advocating that every one of our customers reevaluates their contractor network and, 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 and uh, a service provider network. Do I have the right folks to do the work I need to do to reopen at the ground level in the time I wanted to? Uh, are all the folks that were there before COVID still there, right? Can I still get them prioritized and scheduled to do my work? So this is a big thing that I think um, most people have overlooked with, is the assumption that the folks that were doing work for you nine or 10 weeks ago will be jumping through hoops to come do work for you again. 
they are, may already be scheduled. They may be training their employees to do different types of work to, 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 to meet accommodations. They may have been financially troubled because they didn't get work for the last eight or nine weeks. So we are really advocating to reevaluate your service provider network, make sure they're on board, make sure they have capacity and make sure they can roll things out and do the work on the ground to your to your need. Well, I can imagine because, you know, the assumption is, oh, so many people are out of work. People will just be free as the breeze and ready to go. <laughs> right, and right, that's right. just not going to be the case, right? It's going to be a stretch. Um, we, we have a lot of... Um, cleaning and disinfecting partners on the platform who are just maxed out right now. And we're getting requests every day to help identify and find others who are either morphing their business to become more disinfecting than cleaning or uh, who may have picked up that kind of capability in the last eight to 10 weeks. When you think about some of the the changes in brick and mortar and how now brick and mortar has actually never been more important in the equation, which is you know, the rumors of the death of brick and mortar have been greatly exaggerated. But also considering that brick and mortar now serves another function for many retailers, or at least the smart ones, which is that it's helping become a facilitation point for e-commerce and, you know, all of that digital activity. So are are you guys getting involved with that in any way in terms of how stores are being reimagined for the digital age or what I call the digital rethinking of physical retail? Absolutely. Without without naming names, we have a number of retail customers who are opening up, but aren't opening up in the same format. So the store you used to go in and shop at to buy your apparel, for example, is now going to become a micro warehouse and distribution point where they'll have an inventory and you can order online and basically drive through as if you're picking up a quick serve meal, but pick up some apparel that you may have ordered online. So while things are reopening, they're not necessarily reopening exactly the way they were before. And the mix of the retail, func- the brick and mortar function is going to be uh, phased out for a period of time. Some will be pickup destinations. Some will be inventory uh, and, and micro warehouse destinations. Some will be drive through and some will be, you know, walk through retail locations like they were before. Well, it's great to hear that retailers are, you know, getting innovative about all that. I mean, you know, we've had dark stores in the UK for a while and other concepts like that. So, you know, I'm glad to see that retailers aren't just sitting on their hands and hoping that everything's going to, you know, go back to the way it was, but they're getting creative with those different formats. Well, this has been really, uh, really so helpful. And like I said, you know, something that seems to be such a block and tackle business, but you you do see so much of, of what's really happening in retail and again, across such a breadth of categories and formats. And so I think this has just been so uh, interesting and helpful. And I, I always end these Retail Next interviews with a simple question that I will pose to you right now for any way that you want to answer it. And that's just to ask, what is next? Uh, you know, I, I, am, I am an optimist. Uh, and and uh, I have a, a firm belief that uh, Charles Darwin was a smart guy. And I, I firmly believe that this crisis uh, is allowing for that innovation you just spoke of and is allowing for people to um, be thoughtful and innovative and bring new ideas to the table. And I think, you know, with some data and with some ingenuity and with some ideas that retail and all the industries associated with it are going to come out of this in a much more modern, smarter and stronger format. It'll be another chapter. It won't be like last chapter. Uh, but it will look a lot different, but it will still pertain to the needs of the people that like to go shopping. Um, I think costs will come down because people will dig into the data and drive those costs down. 
I think quality and innovation will go up. And I think the notion of compliance um, will, will be much, much stronger. You'll have to build, rebuild that confidence for the consumer to come back. And I actually think it's going to happen. Uh, we've got that opportunity here, and uh, I'm pretty sure it's going to happen. Well, as a fellow optimist, I'll just say, here, here. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for joining me, Tom. Uh, you provided, uh, like I said, some really great information that I think is going to benefit a lot of different retail stakeholders. And I wanted to uh, give some information on how to contact Tom and also get additional resources from Service Channel. Uh, you can reach out to Tom directly via email at Tom, B as in boy, at servicechannel.com. You can also find him on LinkedIn. And his name, like mine, is not exactly uh, uh, easy to uh, grasp, so I'll spell it for you. It's Tom Bioki, B as in boy, U-I-O-C-C-H-I. And you can also go to the Service Channel website at servicechannel.com. And I believe, too, uh, Tom had told me earlier, you had told me that you guys did a webinar that I think is probably going to run right when this podcast does. So uh, this is a web webinar with some more insights on this reopening of retail. You can access that by going to www.servicechannel.com forward slash reopening. And all of these resources and any more that Tom provides to me will be on the show notes. So on that note, we're going to wrap up this episode of Speakerman Speaks Retail's Voices of Retail Next from Market Scale. Now, in future episodes, I'm going to be talking with smart folks from retail and beyond, retailers, solution providers, brands, tech gurus, and others who are going to help us understand what's really happening in retail. Now, I hope you're going to continue to listen every other Thursday. Our next episode will break on June 4th, and feel free to share on social media as well. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm Retail Expert. You leave off the first E, so it's X-P-E-R-T. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.